Welcome to GRE Snacks, snackable episodes about the GRE exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable GRE course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can try out our course for free at achievable.me, and if you like it, use the code PODCAST to save 10% when you buy it. Now, let's get started. So, we have Jason Wingarden from Ivy Coach back with us today. And Jason, I'd love if you could just give a quick intro of yourself again and your company. Sure. So, I'm, I'm Jason from Ivy Coach. I'm a senior missions consultant. Uh, Ivy Coach, we have been around since the mid-90s, uh, starting off helping students get into the undergraduate programs of their dreams. Uh, you know, with, with our success at that, so many of the students would come to us a few years later. Uh, and they would want assistance getting into the master's and graduate level schools uh, and programs of their dreams. And so over the past generation, we've really built up an expertise uh, in helping students to tell their stories uh, through the applications uh, to get into these different programs. Right. Yeah. And I think that um, this is a really interesting topic today, right, which is it particularly i think you know selective schools or just any graduate school what do you do when you've had a low gpa and this is something that even i thought about when i was applying to graduate school because frankly like you know i i went to a good high school i went to a good college um had good test scores probably would you know if i had ended up applying to business school i would have made sure that i kind of had a gmat that was in like the 700s or a gre that was in the 160s and my gpa wasn't great you know, it wasn't terrible. It was like a three zero five or something. And so what do you do in those kind of situations? Right? Like, I think it's, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not a disaster, uh, GPA wise, but it's still definitely not what schools are looking for when you're applying to top programs. That's right. I think that, you know, when it comes to students in high school, um, you know, you really know that, you know, the goal is to get into college. And right. so even starting freshman year, um, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know, I better do well here. I better do well next semester, next year, all along the way so that I can look good in the college admissions process as a high school senior applying to undergraduate programs. Uh, you know, that same thinking is not always there for students that are in the undergraduate <laughs> programs or pursuing their bachelor's degrees. Yeah. Right. You know, it's not always a foregone conclusion. Uh, maybe unless you're, you know, specifically thinking that you're definitely going to go, you know, through one of the pre-professional tracks, you know, going to medical school or law school, right? Um, you know, many students don't start to think about grad school until it comes time to think about, you know, career services and what's happening after college. Uh, and usually if that is like junior year, well, a year or two has already gone by. And yep. if you spent a lot of time as a freshman um, you know, at the keggers and maybe less time at the library, uh, your GPA might not be looking so good. And so there's lots of students, I think, that come out of undergrad with lower GPAs than maybe they had in high school. Uh, and also, you're not necessarily thinking about grad school the second that you step foot onto campus. Yep. No, that's exactly, uh, you, you parroted my story pretty well. Um, <laughs> I just didn't think that it was really going to matter. And and for me, it was like, I got great grades in the classes that I cared about, but the classes that I didn't care about, I didn't care about. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that was pretty naive of me, but here we are. So when you're in that situation, you know, I think maybe the first thing to think about is, um, how are schools going to look at your GPA in the context of everything else? Right. Because 
The other big thing with graduate school, if you're applying to graduate school with a, with a bit of a gap in between, you'll have some work experience that also becomes part of your resume. You'll probably have either professional or academic references. And so you the, the GPA is a smaller part of a, a, a bigger picture. Um, so where does it kind of fall in sort of, in, you know, importance for, for schools and how do they look at it? So when it comes to, you know, applying and your GPA, I'll kind of break this out maybe to students that are still in college. Um, you know, you still have a little bit of time to go and then maybe students that have been out of college for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, graduate programs, masters, PhDs, you know, these are academic programs. They are going to be looking at the academics first and foremost. Um, yes, they are going to read letters of recommendation. Yes, they ask for test scores and they want to see those test scores. Yes, they're going to see if you have professional experience, what that might be. Uh, if you have extracurricular on campus uh, clubs and organizations, um, you know, what those are. But at the end of the day, um, you know, academics is going to be a big piece of that admissions pie. And so it is for every student going to be, you know, important to really understand, you know, what that GPA is. Uh, you know, it's the GPA, I think, as like a single number is a bit misleading. Um, you know, if you are applying to a master's program in a specific, um, you know, maybe more theoretical humanities um, kind of discipline, um, or maybe you're going a master's in engineering, right? You're, you're maybe getting something that's not, you know, pre-professional. Um, you know, those programs are going to look a little bit more closely at the relevant coursework. And so if you have, let's say, a 3.0 as your GPA, but all of the classes that you took as like an engineer are A's, all of the math and science courses you are kind of averaging out to a 4.0, but then, you know, the general distribution requirements that you have are two are getting C's because you don't like the foreign languages, you you know didn't care about the writing class, you don't know why you're having to take this you know literature course as an engineer, and so you didn't put any time or energy into it, and so you just got bad grades there. Well, you know that might average out to that 3.0, and I would say that for students, you know the courses that are most relevant mm-hmm. or the graduate program that you're interested in, those are going to be the individual grades that are maybe going to shine a little bit brighter and be spotlit a little bit more. Is there a way that you recommend surfacing that? Like, do you put, like, I don't know if this is a common practice or not, but like to put like, you know, overall GPA and then put like major GPA or. So on individual students' resumes, you know, that can be helpful. You know, if you majored in economics and now you are going after a, you know, master's in economics and finance and in a related field, I think that's helpful. Um, you know, when you put, you know, I, you know, have, you know, a X, you know, degree um, from X university and, and putting parenthesis of what your overall GPA and in major GPA is, I think that is helpful. Putting in, you know, relevant coursework that you took um, with the grade, maybe in parenthesis on a resume can be helpful. Um, you know, we're really trying to shine a light in this case mm-hmm. on your doing well on the academic courses that are going to be most relevant and count. And we're really trying to, you know, uh, you know, maybe divert attention away from a bad overall GPA and really towards there are shiny spots, um, you know, hidden in that transcript somewhere. 
Right. And actually, that's a great segue into kind of the next thing I wanted to ask about, which is um, you can, in, in undergraduate admissions, you can kind of create the shiny spots by taking AP courses and then AP exams that validate, you know, how well you did on the AP courses, right? Getting, an, getting a four in AP English is good. Getting a four on the AP English exam is even better, right? Um, the is there an equivalent for graduate school? I mean, maybe it varies a lot by topic, but I'm just curious if there's something like AP exams or AP classes for graduate school. Well, just because of how many different undergraduate programs are out there, um, there's not necessarily like an equivalent that is kind of widely seen. Obviously, any sort of academic prizes, awards, achievements, honors that you have, you know, are, are you know, kind of those extra pieces that you might want to have attention on um, so that, again, attention away from the overall lower GPA um, isn't there. Uh, but you're really, I think, trying to, um, you know, put out there and put your best foot forward. I will mm -hmm. say if you're still in undergraduate, and this might be kind of like a second, um, you know, thing that you can do, uh, if you're still in college, um, you know, you can have taken more active look onto your coursework, right? So you can adjust your final year, finer semester courses. Mm -hmm. um, you can try and, and take different courses that you know you might be more successful in or ones that you hear quote unquote easier for the distribution requirements. You can uh, really take that more active look. Uh, if you're out of college um, and you've been in the working world, uh, you know, you can still take an online course or two, you know, accredited for credits, the MOOCs, the Courseras. Um, you can enroll in a number of colleges if you're in a bigger city. Um, you know, typically they will have non-degree graduate level courses. Um, you know, yes, it does cost money. Uh, but if there's been enough time, you can kind of make the upper trajectory argument where, you know, hey, first, second year of college, I was, you know, sitting under the oak tree and pondering the big questions of life and not necessarily taking my courses the most seriously. Um, but now look at this upper trajectory that's you know happened between junior year and senior year in college. And now I've continued to be intellectually curious and academically focused and I'm taking these extra courses and, and I'm getting good grades in these courses that are at the graduate level. And so, hey, look, if I can get you know A's if I can get A minuses, B pluses, whatever, uh, in these top, you know, graduate level courses that are going to be more demanding than the bachelor's level courses by definition, then, you know, maybe that is going to give you, the admissions office, a little bit more assurance that, yes, I'm you know, prepared to academically do the work. Right. And you're also demonstrating interest, right, in that, mm -hmm. in that area. And, and so that's even something, again, like with all that I've talked about sort of undergraduate admissions and other, other contexts. I'm curious, you know, the, another big piece of the demonstrating interest for undergraduate admissions is uh, extracurriculars and clubs and activities. And so colleges still have plenty of those, mm -hmm. but oftentimes, you know, I don't, I don't hear about the same emphasis on extracurriculars for graduate school admissions that I hear about for undergrad. So I'm curious, do you feel like, you know, prominent or non-prominent roles in things like the robotics club or stuff like that are going to help you when you're applying to relevant programs? I think it definitely can. 
and I would think of it more as part of the story rather than, you know, trying to go after some sort of superlative achievement. Right. Uh, you know, if you are a student and you are interested in getting a master's in history uh, and you have, you know, done, you know, the undergraduate history related, social science related degree, uh, you've probably also done something that is an extracurricular. Now, is everyone going to have as robust of an extracurricular profile at the bachelor's level as they did the high school level? Probably not. Um, is it expected? You know, probably not. If you've gone into the you know, quote unquote working world and now you're you know, trying to get back into the master's, is it likely that you have you know, gone on some sort of you know, Indiana Jones adventure and trying to <laughs> you know, get these historical objects? You know, probably not. But I think you do want to have enough breadcrumbs and enough data points that you can point to to say, you know, this is a legitimate interest. I am sincerely passionate about this topic. You know, I am making a very mature decision in trying to pursue this area. And so if you have done absolutely zero extracurricular in college, if you've done absolutely zero beyond your nine to five, you know, work. Um, I think then colleges, um, you know, are going to question that a little bit. Um, you know, there's not as much, you know, school spirit, we'll call it, at the graduate level as there is the undergraduate level. Uh, but, you know, they do want to build a cohort. They do want to build a community within their program. And so if it seems that you're just someone who's going to, you know, leave your apartment and go to class and then go back to your apartment and that's going to be your entire life and your only time you're on campus or doing anything that's, you know, helping to build and foster a sense of, of community within whatever program is just, you know, raising your hand in class. You know, I think colleges are going to wonder, well, you know, who else maybe is in this, you know, thick pile of applications that I might be able to look to that, you know, has some of the same, you know, academic credentials, has some of the same, you know, interests, but maybe is going to contribute a little bit more. Right. And and so I'm interested in fleshing that out a little bit, because I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, how do you convince, or not convince, I guess, show, demonstrate to an admissions officer that you're going to be a part of the community there, right? Um, is that something that is just kind of, you know, make sure you bring it up in your essays? Or is it like, you know, being a part of clubs or nonprofits, it just that are even unrelated, right? That just like you talk are kind of things that you can point to that show community involvement generally. So it's much more of a box checking exercise that yes, I have done something, you know, quote unquote extracurricular. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't think that there's, you know, if you're like the most clubby person, um, you know, there might be some graduate programs and some types of, of degrees that might really look favorably upon that. But by and large, um, you know, it, it's more kind of checking the box that, no, this is not some sort of library hermit that we're going to admit. This is someone that is going to, you know, get involved and take advantage of the opportunities that we have beyond classes, right? Because, you know, you're, you're not just going to be doing classwork. Mm -hmm. You are also going to be, you know, involved with different research centers, hubs. Maybe you're going to be expected to do some element of TAing or role modeling for undergraduate students and, and trying to drum up interests that they might have in, in pursuing their, uh, the, their pursuits in that field. Uh, so 
just being someone who has done nothing, um, I think is what's to be avoided. Um, you don't need to be doing everything, but you should be doing more than zero. When it right. comes to demonstrating interest, um, you know, I think, you know, yes, a sincere, compelling uh, admissions essay, a statement of purpose, um, you know, that is, I think, the number one way to really get the point across that you, this is a sincere passion, this is a mature decision you're making, that you know that, you know, continuing on the academic path is for you and that this is, you know, something that you're truly you know committed to right and i guess um that's like a, a great sort of segue into unpacking the essay portion right which i think particularly if you know obviously you want to have good test scores and i think we can touch on that too as we wrap up but um if you're a lower gpa candidate i feel like your essay is especially important right because you're trying to kind of really have every like because the G- GPA is a little bit less shiny, kind of, you've got to make up for it mm-hmm. everywhere else. Yeah. Um, and the essay is a key opportunity to do that. So what tips do you have for graduate admissions essays just like generally, and then also specifically for students that maybe have a lower GPA? So overall, definitely I see too many students uh, writing very bland essays that say I've done X, Y, and Z, and getting your, you know, your master's degree in this program is the clear logical next step. That, that's you know, that that, that's inspiring, not, right? <laughs> not too inspiring, not too compelling. Um, you know, I think that there's, you know, a, there, there's certainly room for, you know, being inspirational. There's certainly room for being aspirational. There's certainly room. Uh, for sharing your goals and desires and interests uh, with the admissions committee. Uh, you know, one of the differences between graduate and undergraduate admissions, generally speaking, is that a lot of times the graduates, uh, the applications of graduate programs are read by the professors themselves. That right. there is one of the professors who is tasked with being the department head of admissions, uh, you know, typically for medical law business programs, there is a standalone admissions office, but for nearly every other uh, graduate program, there's one person who is like the person and they are bringing in the kind of more professional academic experience rather than the professional admissions experience. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, I think want to see passion. They want to know that, you know, there's someone out there that is just as interested in their field as they are. They want to know that the kids are all right and that the next generation is going to carry the torch forward. And by just, you know, having a very bland kind of syllogistic, you know, A led to B and B led to C and now I'm applying to your program, let me in. Uh, I think there's room to, to not do that uh, and, and to avoid that at nearly all costs. Yeah. So then good to know what to avoid, but then what should we emphasize? Like, what are the things to focus on? I think there's always room for more focus on the specific program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, and there's always room for more focus on the specific outcome. Uh, lots of times, you know, students will not necessarily think about, you know, the outcome of why they're getting a master's degree. 
Mm -hmm. um, they will think that, you know, more on the, it's the next logical step. Uh, but, you know, one of the big differences between the amount of time you're in a graduate program and undergrad is undergrad, that's four years. Very few master's level degrees are four years. You know, maybe mm -hmm. a PhD is longer, but, you know, every other master's level degree is two, three years. And so there's less time to sit under the oak tree. The, the distance traveled between admission and outcome career is much less. And so, you know, having a little bit more focus on what the kind of ultimate goal is, mm -hmm. I think is important. Uh, and part of that is why this specific school, this specific program is uniquely qualified and prepared, why you're such a good match for that. You know, why is this going to be, you know, what, what are you going to bring to the table and what is this program going to give to you that's going to make that outcome more realistic and more achievable? Right. And I think also, I mean, at least for me, I feel like the school wants to think that you have a plan for taking the degree and leveraging it to do something, right? At the end of the day, what do, what do all colleges, graduate or undergraduate, want? They want their alumni to become important and successful and, and famous, right? Because that helps right. them. So what's your plan for that? Right. If your plan is to parlay your master's degree into another McKinsey job, no, no offense to McKinsey, or just whatever, right? Like into sort of the next level of job, that's maybe mm -hmm. not as exciting as as you know. Oh, like I'm really passionate about this, and I want to you know start or work or on an early stage startup that like solves this problem, right? I think it's just right. being more being deliberate about where you see the degree taking you i think it's a great piece right. of advice yeah and i think that you know if, if you have to you know just go through your essay and say is this like a forward-looking sentence or is this like a background you know backward-looking sentence right um you know you want you you want you know I, I don't know if there's like a magic you know ratio but i see too many students coming in with like 90% backwards looking, 10% forwards looking. And so most students, there's room to get closer to like a 50-50 mark if, if you can. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that is one way that's going to really help to not just make an essay better, but make the story that you're telling much more compelling, uh, much more believable, much more specific, um, and hopefully you know, to draw a little bit more attention in that direction than, you know, when the eyes are going to inevitably wander over to your lower GPA. Right. And that is, I, I, I'm glad you tied it back to the, to the topic of uh, discussion here, which is the lower GPA students. I'm curious if in the essay, is it a good idea or a bad idea to like spend a couple sentences explaining your low GPA, right? Like, do you make that comment? I was sitting under the oak tree pondering life in your essay, or do you kind of leave it out and it's kind of, like you know maybe a tacky thing to bring up so usually when there is the spot to lead to put the additional information or the letter of explanation mm -hmm. uh, i see students usually not using that correctly usually they seem like they're making excuses they seem like they're whining um and they're just bringing more attention to something that we want to not bring attention to right mm -hmm. we want to show all the reasons to admit you because you have a passion, you 
written a compelling essay, you have unique experience, you've got people recommending you. We want to shine the light on all these positive things. We don't want to spend time dwelling and reminding the person reading your application that there's this negative thing that's there. And so usually it's a bad idea to mm. write a long, drawn-out explanation about why you have a lower GPA. Uh, now, I will say if there is, if, if you're like the exception to the rule, um, you know, you had incredible family responsibilities at home because, you know, a parent, you know, had a medical illness and you were expected to be at home taking care of your younger siblings a lot more. Uh, you yourself had a medical issue, right? If, if there's something where clearly you are the exception to the rule, it's not that you were spending too much time under the oak tree or at keggers when you should have been in the library. Uh, if there's a clear high mountain exception, maybe that's a good thing to bring in and to tell it more as a story about here's something else about me. Here's another interesting you know, fact and, and use it more as an additional essay rather than a full on explanation and, and let the admissions uh, representative kind of make the connection of, oh, well, of course, you know, freshman year, sophomore year, of course, you know, there was this huge bump in the road where, you know, the student got all C's or F's or what or whatever. It's because, you know, there was a problem with mom. Um, you know, I think that's a much healthier way if uh, that applies to you to bring it up. Yeah. No, that's great advice. I think that's really important. Uh, and then any closing thoughts on you know what you can do as a lower GPA candidate to stand out? I mean, obviously get great test scores on G or mm-hmm. GMAT or EA. Um, I feel like that we're, yeah. we're not you know talking about that in depth because it's so obvious. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> exactly. right. You know, maybe you know, maybe the it's not going to be you know the the panacea, right? It's not going to raise the it's not going to raise the dead. Um, having a high test score. It certainly helps. It's certainly important. Certainly these schools want to admit students that have high test scores, and it's another way that you can uh, really show schools that you are prepared and that you're going to you know, be able to do the work academically. You know, right. Typically, when students are taking these tests, um, it is more recent history than when maybe they sat uh, for some of those uh, courses that they got bad grades in. And so, yes, there is an element that it can be part of that upward trajectory story. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, certainly, um, you know, the higher the score, the better, you know, doing well on the right tests. You know, no one has ever lied about these standardized tests. No one has ever lied about these tests. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Then they wouldn't work. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah. And it shows you have the horsepower, right? Because at the end of the day, like the school is kind of trying to think about a couple different factors. One of them is obviously, you know, is this person going to be successful and famous someday? Is this person going to contribute to the on-campus presence and community? But uh, uh, probably the most important one is, are they going to survive and thrive academically? And so if you can't prove that with your previous GPA, another way to show that maybe you have the horsepower to do that is through test scores. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, I feel like that one's quick to cover because the answer is yes, it will help, <laughs> yes. but it won't raise the dead. I like the way you put that. And yes, and maybe it'll, it'll heal the sick, but it won't raise the dead. And if you are a lower GPA candidate and a school is saying that they're test optional, uh, maybe they're not test optional for you. Yep. Uh, you. You should really think that this is an opportunity that you have ahead of you to do well and show uh, show what you're made of. Exactly. 
And then any other uh, parting thoughts on this topic before we wrap up? I think that really covers it. I mean, you know, understanding what your GPA is and how schools will look at it. Um, you know, thinking if there's opportunity to do any coursework while you're still in school or if there's an ability to like add on a class or two as kind of like a, uh, you know, kind of a post-work extracurricular hobby of yours, so to speak. Um, you know, demonstrating interest in the school, getting that strong essay or statement of purpose and, and doing well in those standardized tests. Um, you know, those are, um, you know, clearly all the different areas that go into the application, uh, but certainly there are different things, uh, different levels of importance and thoughts that you can uh, take strategically if you find yourself in a situation that many students do where uh, maybe their GPA is just not quite as high as they would hope. Right, exactly. Great. Thank you so much. This has been GRE Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Jason Weingarten from Ivy Coach. Achievable has a great online course that you can try for free at achievable.me. And if you like it, be sure to use the podcast code podcast to save 10%.